0: Please.
1: Bootsy here to bring the Truth and Rhythm family's attention to funk, not fight. Yeah, this is a call to action. We spread hope, not hate, uh, to gain satisfaction throughout our communities via the music uplifting unity. Uh, Peppermint
0: Patty, tell us a little more. Thinker is our partner. Think or music, that is. So please check the link that's scrolling across the bottom, click it, and submit your music. Let's
1: all funk, funk not, not fight. fight. Welcome back to the next part of this Truth and Rhythm episode. Be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends. Also, become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon or consider donating at funkinstuff.net. Thank you so much for your interest and support. Enjoy. Yeah, I mean the thing about Bohannon is, you know, first off he's a bit of an enigma and he's not with us any any longer to to tell his story unfortunately, but Right. Um, you know, on this show Truth and Rhythm, I've had, you know, stories from so many uh funk, R&B and jazz acts uh from throughout, you know, the 60s to now. Um, but really haven't touched much on Bohannon. So it's great to hear from you first uh, hand, Leroy, um, some of that backstory. And um, mm-hmm. you know, he he sort of created, uh, and with your help, uh, evidently, sort of like a sub you know? I mean, he had his own sound with really a really heavy emph- emphasis on the, um, you know, uh, scratchy guitars oh, yeah.
0: and that beat. Yeah, all that stuff. Well, you I know, made up all my own. All I call the guitar parts and all that stuff. Me and Rick Ross, we made up all that stuff. You know, Bohannon had an—he uh, had an idea of what kind of song he wanted. He would—he was would singing out. He said, "I want the bass to play this. I want uh, give me this kind of rhythm." And because uh, he was a drummer, so he understood rhythm and everything with bass, guitar, drums, rhythm. Then you know, a lot of rhythmic keyboard stuff. It was not a lot of solo stuff going on. I did some solo on some records, on on some of his records. I did if it was any solo, and I did most of the solo. And um, because I directed the music, like, um, he's a drummer, so he had to be in the drum booth. And only somebody standing out on the floor directing traffic is me. But I knew all the songs, so I directed everything. I gave it uh, some of the timing because, like, I could dance. And disco was was about dance. And I could disco dance. So, like, um, I put everything in a in a beat and a tempo where disco dancers could dance to it. So that's why he came out with the, it, the tempo was right. And he played all the right things on the drums. He didn't have to be fancy like, um, you know, Gene Cooper or nobody, you know. So, like, uh, he gave him the dance beat, and his timing was like a metronome. He was like a metronome. He didn't need any kind of electronics to to keep him on beat or keep him in time. Bohannon uh, probably had one of the best timing that any drummer ever played with, and he didn't play nothing fancy. But keeping time, he was like a metronome. And that's what sold all those records that he put out because his timing was like right on.
1: How, how tiring was it for you playing some of those sessions and just keeping those rhythm patterns going for so long, you know, and so, so tight?
0: Well, all the musicians that played with Bohannon, like Mose, which from The Counts, uh, Jimmy Jackson from The Counts, Uh, We had Ted Waterhouse. We had different bass players from time to time. Um, Had Ray Parker Jr., Wawa, Watson. Um, I mean, we had uh, uh, heavy hitters. They came in, had no problem with keeping the groove, or keeping the feel. All these guys are like all hit maker musicians. We all played on numerous of hits for other people, so we knew how to go in the studio and make a hit. So, you know, and that's how it happened.
1: You know, it, it definitely had that beat that was disco floor friendly, but most of it mm-hmm. still had, you know, an element of funk in there, you know, um as some, some tracks more than others. But uh um,
0: well that was that was because of me and Rick because I'm a funketeer. I've been playing funk all my life. I was playing funk before those guys were born. <laughs> Some of them, you know. And they could play the funk, but they were all, um, I mean, during that time, they hadn't, I had already gone through people like playing with James Brown and John Lee Hooker and and um, Lil Sonny hard, Hardcore blues. When I was 12 years old, I did one song with Sonny Boy Williams. You know, he played um, harmonica. He's one of the icons of blues on harmonica. I was 12. I played one song with him. Mm-hmm. And he said, son, you're going to be a good player when you grow up. You know, because he said, I could feel you. You know, so like, um, that was my experience. So when I got in the studio with, you know, I knew how to keep them in the pocket and keep them with the feeling because, um, I'm directing traffic out there in the middle of the floor while the studio music going down, they watching me and whatever I do, they going to do in Bohan, it's like a metronome, he ain't going to lose the beat at all. So was so it was kind of,
1: uh, was, was it kind of like, uh, I mean. To me, Bohannon was sort of like in the mold of like a Chuck Berry or James Brown, you know, just very much yeah. with those consistent um patterns and rhythms. Did did right. exactly. kind of did did you guys kind of come up with like grooves first and then he would come up with song titles and themes?
0: Um he would come up with um a groove, an idea he would hear like on a drum. He would play like a drum pattern. He said, this kind of groove I want in time. And Tom, when he wrote uh, South African Man, that was uh, 12-4, which is unheard. And no song ever been recorded like that, ever, that I have ever heard in my entire life. The South African Man. The 12-4 time. And that was something by him being a drummer that can read time signatures. He came up with that time signature. When he came up with that, uh, that time uh, signature, um, I, I listened to it and then, like, I can play any time signature myself too, because I studied African music and all that stuff. As a kid, I just kind of listened to a lot of it. A lot of off-rhythms, a lot of Br- and all that. And, and then jazz, you got to know, you got to be alert if you're going to try to play that music. So, anyway, when we came up with that time signature, I went like, okay, I can put a 4-4 or whatever time I put next to it, me and Rick, and, and we uh, came up with that boom, 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 but it was like a boom, 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 That was the groove that he played on the drum, and we just fell right into the pocket, and uh, that's another one of his big records, the South African man.
1: You mentioned Ricky Rouse, and I just want to make sure listeners and viewers are aware of who you're talking about when you say Rick and Ricky. Um, what what did he bring to the party? How did he complement what you were doing?
0: Rick was more into uh, a, a Jimi Hendrix. He's a Jimi Hendrix fan, 100%. Me? Jimi Hendrix is just there. He's a good guitar player, and he brought something to the table, and And, uh, he had his huge cult following even to this day. And, um, but, um, I was just as much for people like Wes Montgomery or uh, George Benson, Kenny Rale, mainly Wes Montgomery, because, uh, my style, if, if you said, what kind of style would you lean toward if you just took off plants? And if I started playing, they said, you got kind of a, you got a little bit of West Montgomery and some James Brown funk and all that kind of stuff mixed in your, your playing. I said, yeah, I do. Because, um, I've, um, figured out how to use all of that in my music and, and, um, and be happy with playing. You know, now I'm not trying to be this guy or that guy, or I'm not sold out trying to because I can play a Jimi Hendrix song. I'm happy with myself. No, I'm I'm light years from that. You know, I thought that he was great, but he's not on my list of being great guitar player. You know, so like um, uh, he's on my list as being a great entertainer. Well, a great, a you great,
1: uh, in- innovative stylist.
0: I would say, right. And yeah, he's very innovative. He's a great entertainer. He knew how to, he, he what he could do, he took it to the max. Same way with guys like Stevie Ray Vaughan, you know, and um, which could play, good player, you know, but like um, not on my list. You know, Tommy Emmanuel would be on my list as a guitarist. Right. Yeah. You okay. know,
1: when we're talking about the funk that was in Bohannon's uh, records, you know, I'm thinking of things like the groove I feel, and um, getting mm-hmm. off, you know, and tracks like that. Were were to me, I say they're funk before they're dance music
0: or disco. But um, you know, uh, well, disco came from funk. You know, without the funk, there's the disco is useless. Well, you same know, same for same for hip
1: hop. Yeah, same for hip hop. That's why funk exactly. should, should get more credit in my mind than it does. Overall.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, James Brown was one of the first disco men. Yeah. You know,
1: he did probably, that. He did that record, the original disco man, in the late seventies. I remember.
0: He was he was the original disco man, and uh, I played with his orchestra once in nineteen
1: sixty-five. Wow! Early on.
0: I was 18 years old.
1: Was that at the Apollo?
0: Was that Cobo Arena in Detroit? Okay. He turned it upside down. He was one of he he was one of my main he's in my top three <laughs> as far as the entertainer.
1: Did you ever see Sly Stone in his prime?
0: Oh yeah. I opened up for him. Wow. Open up for Michael Jackson. And then it comes with everybody. And I've seen it all, been right next to it, looking at it. And um, there's some serious stuff.
1: Were you on Bohannon's biggest hit, Let's Start the Dance?
0: I'm on all of his records.
1: Because that record well, was curious to me, and looking at, you know, online at uh, credits for Bohannon albums. That record, I think he switched labels or something, but it doesn't show the players on that one. You know, most all the other ones show the players and include your oh, name.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, that's, uh, yeah, just somebody in the soul, uh, uh, whatever, some kind of rights. They didn't bother to put the original, all the original recordings are all that has got names and pictures. And a lot of that stuff has just been re released under another label, under another album cover, and that type of thing. And, you might see a picture of bohannon and then, and that's it they don't go through the, the trouble of putting in all of the um, details
1: how, how did how did a record getting that level of success sort of change things for bohannon
0: uh, change things in what way
1: well i mean i would think um a little more fame and popularity maybe doing bigger venues uh, for shows uh, oh yeah we, did, we did the
0: biggest show we we did the biggest shows that can possibly be done in the United States of America, period. We did the number one everything across the board. Yeah, we, we, were the, we weren't no bar group or none of that stuff. We played Club 54. We played Madison Square Garden. We played Radio City Music Hall. These kind of gigs we were doing across the board. What were you know, live? Bohannon what were was,
1: live Bohannon shows like? Because I never got to see them.
0: Well, we were better than most shows that we played with. We destroyed everybody. <laughs> to be honest with you, destroyed them. The Isley Brothers, Grand Central Station, Sly and the Family Store, all of them, we destroyed them. And the reason for that is because disco was popular and we were the number one disco band. And the only bands that really could keep up with anything that we were doing was, um, I probably was gonna name, uh, I'm trying to think of the name of this group come out of uh, Washington. Um, Donald, Donald Blackbirds? Yeah, the Blackbirds. Now, that group was phenomenal. And on the other groups that we were on the show, it was like uh, Gil Scott Heron, which was totally different. But he had a major following. And um, groups like that, other than Disco.
1: What was Bohannon's presence like on stage? Did he interact with the crowd? Did he kind of well, keep he, to himself?
0: He just sit there and play the drums. We did everything. Like me, Ted, and um, Lorenzo Brown. We were dancers. We would dance during the whole show and play at the same time. We did all the disco dances, all the disco, and we even brought new moves to the, that's what people were into. And the mother groups, they were really good at what they did, and it wasn't that they had big names because they had big records. But when we came on, we just lit the place on fire, right from beginning to the end, because all our, all our songs were high-energy disco dance music. And that's where that's where the headspace was at that time.
1: I'm thinking uh maybe got mashed up with people like Casey and the Sunshine Band or uh, Donna Summer, people like that.
0: Yeah, we we would destroy all that stuff. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I'm sure of that. Yeah, I'm sure of that. You
0: know. You know, <laughs> I mean those those kind of acts were like um they were television acts mainly. Donna Summer, you know, she was glamorous. Type of thing. She wouldn't um if she did a show, it wouldn't be her and three or four other bands, it would just be her. You know, she was in a whole another space. Like um you're gonna bring if if it was Slain Dion coming out to do a show, she ain't gonna have two or three opening acts. That ain't gonna happen.
1: Did did you get on T V at all?
0: Oh yeah, I was on um uh what was that show? Um out of California, solid gold. Soul Train. Soul Train. Yeah, I was on Soul Train once, and um, uh, it was a guy from the Monkees. Was a talk show he had. Uh, I forget which one it was. But I was on the talk show out there with one of the Monkees. <laughs>
1: I don't remember the monkeys having a talk show. Uh, Davy Jones yep. or Mickey Dolenz or
0: yeah, with Davy Jones. Oh. Davy Jones had a talk show in California. It didn't. It wasn't coast to coast, United States, but it was California. It covered California.
1: Now I saw, uh, yeah. Leroy, that you're also on the crowd pleasers one album from 1979.
0: Is that correct? Uh, yeah, I produced them.
1: Okay, because I just had Donald Payne was just on the show, if you know and remember who he is.
0: Yeah, bass player.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so we were just yeah. talking about that record in depth. hmm Do you remember These anything about people. that experience?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I produced them in the studio. They they were a good group out of Ohio. Funk. They were a funk group. You know, and uh, they could play. They could They can do their thing. And um, um, another group out of um, uh, Mississippi, Shonoff, I produced them. I'm sorry, what was that one? Shonoff was the name of the group, S-H-O-N-U-F-F, Shonoff.
1: What label were they on? Do you remember?
0: Uh, Malico. Okay. Uh, Same label as ZZ Hill. Oh, uh-huh. So When I was down there recording with ZZ Hill, I produced uh, the, um, sure enough.
1: Did they, um, get to do more than one record? The Crowd Pleasers was just one and
0: done? Yeah, only did one record with the Crowd Pleasers, but sure enough, they did a couple albums. I just did one album with them. Turn out pretty
1: good. You know, to me, it's always been crucial, Leroy, for guitar to figure prominently in funk music. You know, whether it's, you know, the the tight rhythm or a riff or even soloing. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, right.
1: You know, you can have a really funky groove, but when you put that scratchy oh, yeah. guitar in there, it just adds something extra that just puts it over the top for me. Um, how do you feel about that?
0: Well, it's just rhythm. You thought it was a rhythm instrument. It was like a drum. Anything you strike is rhythm. It all depends on the player. I Me, mean, I mastered that stuff when I was a kid. And uh, I mean, play with somebody like James Brown, and he was God when he came to that kind of stuff. You know, because he created, he created funk music. That's where funk came from. Was from him stuff hardly even exist before he was ever heard of.
1: Do you remember, like, first hearing the first, you know, uh, rhythms of funk, whether it was, like, Cold Sweat or whatever, and do you remember, like, thinking, wow, this is something really brand new, and I like it?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I remember when I first saw James Brown live, I was just a kid. He was in his prime then, I was hypnotized. <laughs> I went like, and of I, I understood it, I, I understood the music. And when I heard it and could see it and hear it live, it, it, um, it resonated. So I just took it and like, uh, I said, okay, this is it. I can hang with this.
1: Are there some elements of your of, of your own playing, Leroy, that you think are sort of your signature? You know that if you know someone was really studied up on it, they could you know, listen to some of your material and say, "Oh yeah, I hear that signature of of Leroy Emmanuel.
0: Well, that's all over the world. I've, um, from what I can see, like you take a place like China, which I've been there six times, and I worked there. Um, oh. 40 different cities in China. And uh, I'm, I'm in the, the councils in the history of R&B and funk and soul in China. That's where, we done, that's where we've made some noise as a group. And most bands, you know, that popular here in the States and that, uh, china never heard of them, but um we're so front the counts that's a hard hitting album for' for china of all places it's and, uh,
1: uh, I it's, played, ama- it's amazing uh, how huh? different parts of, it's amazing how different parts of the world embrace you know certain music mm-hmm. um i had yeah. um I had Ronald LaPred from the Commodores was on and, uh, he talked about <laughs> when they went to Singapore, you know, back in the seventies and how, uh, they were worshiped like they were bigger than the Beatles when they showed up there and they had no idea until they went there. You know, it's just,
0: that's right. You know? <laughs> yeah. And that's where I was wondering where I said, where are all these cows at? Where are they selling? I mean, we hit top 10 in Africa somewhere. And, um, Back in the day when we put out uh, Get Down People, uh, Rhythm Change was one of those songs that I wrote, me and uh, Moe's wrote. And it was we the first top 10 R&B song in, in uh, South America. And I said, wow. But that's the news that I got back, that came back. And I went like... <laughs> I said, we're probably, if we could, if we had a company behind us, we had, uh, tour support is what we needed was tour support to go to these places. We would have just took off like a rocket, but we had no tour support. The new record companies was, um, too small. Well,
1: how, uh, how, how, how and why exactly did the counts stop, you know, making music?
0: Uh, 1975, we did our last album, which I have on two-inch here, which I haven't released. I have an unreleased album that counts.
1: From 75?
0: Yep. Wow. <laughs> 75 or 76. Yeah.
1: So did it stop because you know you were so busy with Bohannon and other projects, um, or you know was there
0: just not- Yeah, that's part that's part of it, and then too, um, like I said, during that time disco was happening, and and this music that I did on the counts is not disco, you know, so it was pointless to try to put that music out right in the midst of a whole new stream of music that has taken over the world. You know, it would just would have been a waste of time going against the grain at the time. But no, I might at some point uh, do something with it, come out where to put it on uh, and even record companies are not really happening these days. You know, for a lot of things, everything has gone fashionable and trying to find another Michael Jackson or whatever they're doing. <laughs> you know, everything is uh, just heavy, heavy, heavy-duty production and director companies are not record companies no more. They're uh, business conglomerates that's not really interested in entertainers. They pick whatever they need and put it out there. Only guys that's making it are still going Is guys that had something out sixty years ago and they're
1: still alive. Well obviously Everybody's for for, for myself and other viewers and listeners, you know, we hope that uh somehow, some way, uh, we'll get to hear that music that was not released at some some point. Um mm-hmm. yeah. So you're 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 teasing and tantalizing us here.
0: <laughs> well the thing is is just having have a the market for it. I mean, if I do put it, I'll wear more put for it. Who's going to play it? And that's the thing. Like, uh, everything is so controlled now. And then, if I walked in the door with an album on the couch, it's hit or miss. You look at me and they say, who are you? I say, I'm the leader of the counts. I got a counts album that hadn't been released. You say, so, oh, really? Oh, well, <laughs> what you want us well, to do with it?
1: What you got to do is is get it put out on vinyl for Record Store Day. You can get some, you know, publicity around that, I'm, I'm sure.
0: Well, that's, you know how hard that is? I'm it sure it's not easy. Course. Yeah, I'm
1: sure it's not oh, easy. Oh, it's
0: hard, man. It is hard. It's easy to get it pressed and all that. I got three albums out in uh, Europe. I got three albums on my shelf two in Italy and one in Austria. And when I go there, I sell them from the stage. So far I've sold about three, 4,000. Whenever I tour, I go, I sell uh, maybe seven, 800. But the thing is about that, all the money is mine.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's the <a> sweet <laughs> I mean, part. I,
0: yeah. Well, they're not giving me 10% or 3% or whatever or nothing. You know, at least when I go out. And that's the only reason why I'm going back now. And and the way my business is right now is small business. I'm a small businessman entertainer. Uh, They take care of my flights and hotels and food and all that kind of stuff. Plus, I get paid. And it's not like a huge amount of money. But it's enough money for me to uh, take care of my, all my bills, whatever I got to take care of, and you know, and and, uh, and I'm not killing myself. Only would maybe do a couple hours in a night, and I'm done. Sometimes just one show.
1: Leroy, and i pretty
0: good gigs, huh?
1: Leroy, tell tell people about LMT, how that came to be, and you know, because that band is no joke, you know, and you you got some good funk in that group too.
0: Oh yeah, well I've had that band for thirty three years, and uh, I put those guys together yeah thirty three years ago, and um, we got uh, like I said five or six albums out, and all independent, not with no record companies. We did, we did a lease on a couple of companies. Uh, when we were in China, this is a good story. We were. <laughs> We were in China, and I wanted to go to the Sun Festival, which is the biggest festival in all of China. It's just like people forever, and uh, the stage is just like unbelievably, it's huge, and the production is like uh, who knows multi-million dollars worth of just production stuff. On, this, on the stage, it's speakers, and they got drones that flying around doing all kinds of stuff. It's very it's very upscale that when they do it when they do something they do it. It's huge. So anyway, uh we got in to come to the festival to see the show, see what's going on. So they had all these bands that were in China, they would all kinds of different kinds of music. They had jazz, they had um some groups come in from Switzerland and from different places like that. So I got to meet the uh, people that were behind it and the people that were doing the sound was all Sennheiser production speakers. They had all brand new stuff and just equipment forever. But anyway, I was talking to the, the guy who was uh, one of the main guys behind the whole festival. I said, "How?" um do you get on a festival like that? They said, well, it takes about two years for us to plan this thing. And um, I thought we'd do two years in advance. So I said, wow. I said, well, here's a card. I gave him a card. I'm I'm LMT. We play um, funk, blues, jazz, whatever. You know, and um, that's how what happened with that. Um, they got, he got a call and it was a band that was supposed to come in, China wouldn't let them in to the country for some reason and these guys were supposed to be going on in about three hours or something like that and he got the schedule all they had the schedule all laid out for what time the band go on this band go on, this one go off because it's a huge festival so, like, I'm still standing around. The guy come up to me, and he said, is your band here? I said, yeah, all three of us. we right here. And he said, do you have the answer? I said, well, yeah, I got the... Um, we have a, a band that we come in, and and we do have our guitars. That's all we had if I get... That's all we needed, you know, because they had everything else. And they even had guitars if we needed it. But anyway... um. The guy said, you want to go on this show? And I what, like, wow, are you kidding me? So anyway, we ended up playing and we just destroyed the crowd. They just went crazy because we were the only band that were playing some heavy funk, and some blues. <laughs> and, that, and, and the Chinese went nuts. It was big, huge young people, as far as you can see. And um, anyway, Sennheiser did the production. And they asked, what company are you with? I said, we're not with a company, we're independent. So anyway, he said, would you like to do an album for us? And I went like, sure. So long story short, they flew us into New York and Manhattan. We went in the studio and we did Funk is the final Frontier album on their new equipment that they had. And great sound, everything. But the president of the company, he was going to put us, make a label, and have us on the label as a Sennheiser group. But he ended up getting another job somewhere else doing whatever. And he took off, and that whole idea fell apart. So they gave us the album. And we didn't pay a penny for it. Nothing. Gave us the pressing, everything. So that's what I've been promoting this group, but it was just something like an angel fell out of the sky or something. Um, I just started promoting, and we started promoting our own stuff. Uh, we already had a uh, top quality recording printed, everything.
1: What so year was what that? What year was that?
0: Huh? huh? What year was that? That about? was uh, two thousand eighteen or something like that. Seventeen. I Have to look on the album. Well, Funk is the final frontier. L and T connection, but it's independent. And um, and I was thinking about putting it on vinyl, but and like like a lot of stuff, like I got music forever, and uh, it's all very well recorded stuff. Like I would like to put it to vinyl, but uh, like LMT is getting a, <clears throat> in a situation, I'm in a situation whereas I have two European bands. So when I go to Europe, I don't go with LMT. I go by myself because I'm the, only, I'm the guy that they're selling, Leroy Manuel. And uh, my shows are selling out, you know, so.
1: Well, that... That record is is funky for sure, and also uh, Color Me Funky from two thousand seven really cooks too. Right. Yeah.
0: You got those albums? You got those CDs?
1: Uh, I don't have the CD. I have. Uh,
0: yeah. Oh yeah, just have the music on it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But uh, but I dig it for sure. And people unfamiliar with it who are watching or listening definitely check out those LMT Connection records. And uh, yeah, you know. Help uh, continue to to fund the art that uh, you and your your uh, musician friends are are doing. Well, you mentioned you know that you sing too, and you really do sing. You know, um, I wasn't really familiar with your singing until I you know kind of boned up for this interview, but um, you know, definitely um, you can wail. You know, so
0: <laughs> yeah, I sing all the um, LMT stuff. And I do a lot of the counts lead singing, me and Demo. And that's the council. we're doing. We do all our own vocals on everything, background vocals, everything. And um, I wrote basically all the songs for LMT. Yeah. All the original yeah. stuff that's there, I wrote all that stuff. So right now, it's- I still got tunes, bits and pieces that I'm working on.
1: Is is there any um uh show from the Counts or Bohannon uh that just really stands on your memory because something unexpected happened or something beautiful happened or something uh bad happened have you, or? Have
0: you ever watched the LMT on BB King eightieth birthday? No. Okay. Um BB King's eightieth birthday um with LMT connection. And uh, he he introduces us, uh, and it goes directly to uh, Funk is the Finally Frontier live at the casino.
1: So it's on DVD.
0: That's, that's on. That's on. You can pull it up on YouTube.
1: So was that about ten years ago or more than that?
0: Yeah, a little bit more than that. About uh, I was sixty then yeah going on going on seventeen years now, wow, flies by. mhm, yeah,
1: so had you uh, met or known BB King before that?
0: Nope, I met him. that's the first time I met him, but he was really impressed with my band when he heard us, and he came out and he said his manager said, man, he ain't never introduced nobody like that before. He said, he really likes you.
1: <laughs> you, you mentioned um, Bootsy earlier. Do you have any uh, George Clinton or Bootsy stories?
0: Uh, when we was on the road together, you know, we had um, We were like brothers. Still are. Out together and we were just getting known and trying to build our names and stuff like that. We had little records that were hitting the charts and stuff like that. We just getting going and um sometimes we get a couple of rooms and there was a lot of us at the time so we would take just two rooms and all of us we split up and we all sleep on the floor and everywhere we were tight man we were <laughs> you know those, we were something else so
1: you knew catfish yeah. also his brother
0: Catfish was one of my close friends. I talked to Catfish about two hours on the phone before he died. Wow. So, uh, I, I never I got know. to
1: meet him, but I heard he was, you know, just a really great guy.
0: He was a great person. Guy had a good heart, man. I called him. I hadn't seen him in years. And I just had the feeling. I ran into Booch out in California. I said, man, give me your brother's number. And he did. So when I got back here to Niagara Falls, I called. I was on the phone with him for a couple hours just talking. We were laughing and talking. And shortly after that, he passed away.
1: I feel like Keith's wow. uh, unsung as a rhythm player, too. I mean, he could do it. He could really lay it down.
0: Oh, he could, He was killer. Him and his brother, when they played together with the Funkadelics, they both played with the Funkadelics. And uh, saw. So I met them. And um, before then, they were playing with James Brown. So, I don't know. We were just one big, happy family. <laughs>
1: you, you you mentioned your uh, appreciation for Earth, Wind & Fire. Uh, was there anyone else that you saw in all your shows and times and that just really blew you away in terms of their their show or their presence on stage?
0: Um. Well, I learned a lot by watching a lot of different shows. Um, um, Ben Vereen, we opened up for Ben Vereen one time in Atlanta Civic Center, and he came out. All he did was by himself, and he did a whole mime thing, and it was amazing. Yes, like some background music going. And he was acting. They had a spotlight on him, he just did a like an almost like an hour show, just him going through a lot of uh, different uh, performances. Just he was amazing, and like uh, that that got me. <laughs> I went like, wow, what an entertainer! And um, different things like that. I've seen uh, different people groups have their moments. Hmm. Yeah. Well, orchestras, I think big band orchestras that just really blew my mind.
1: Yeah. When you look back at it all, um Leroy, it, what would you say you're most proud of accomplishing in your music career?
0: That I did. Yeah. Well, uh, um well, I've uh, started a movie <laughs> playing Marvin Gaye, which is one of the Prince of Motown. He's one of the top guys ever as an artist, as a pop singer, R&B singer, songwriter and that, which I had no acting ability. Uh, I never went to school for nothing like that. They're just from studying people and studying movies, and I just taught myself how to do everything I know and I've accomplished playing with a lot of people of being on the shows with people are renowned, the biggest names in pop music, like Michael Jackson, Stevie Wonder, Dion Warwick, and, um, Harold Melvin, blue notes. And it just goes on and on and on and on. Uh, I've been in concert with these people and played with some blues artists, uh, the respect that I got from B.B. King that took me over the top because he's my favorite blues man. And he's looking at me and telling me that I'm great. <laughs> I'm going like, wow. You know? So, for me, I think I've accomplished everything that I've ever wanted to accomplish as a musician and as a person meeting people and meeting people I've looked up to. Uh, West Montgomery became a friend. I met him. First time I sit down with him. He bought me a beer and I was too young to drink. And, but I drank it anyway, because I was with the guy that he was my number one guitarist that he just took me away the way he played and stuff like that. It just, you know, I never been that close to somebody that I really admired that much, you know? So, and plus, see um, what I learned from him. Other than guitar playing, he was a man that had five kids and a home and a wife, and and he, and he was out there playing not just for the money. And you know, he was already number one jazz on guy on the charts, and every guitar player in the world wanted to play like him, you know, including Jimi Hendrix. And um, it was just a type of thing, whereas. I just, um, I don't know how I got myself in and out of so many situations going past my goal.
1: So it's all gravy. It's all gravy now, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah, man. It's all gravy, brother. You know, I don't know no guys that's my age that's getting called from all over the world, or uh we'd be getting things straightened out here Would would you be available to do some concerts in the next five six months from now and all this kind of stuff now all i tell them is i say if god still got me here running around i'll be there
1: <laughs> how How can uh how can people keep tabs on you know what you're doing where you're playing and you know what can you uh share with us for keeping up with the Roy manual
0: well they look up um they look up and um, they see where I'm playing with all of that. And that's how, how you got in touch with me. You know, a lot of people get in touch with me. They'll, they'll write me a message and, and ask me, what am I doing? And um, stuff like that. I'm on WeChat, and that's a Chinese thing. And uh, I get I mean, somebody from China is always writing me almost every other day. You know, so I stay up with that and on Facebook and all that, which is, I'm not a real computer type of person. You know, I just kind of like spend my time just hanging out with my wife or whatever, Uh, just going for a walk, hanging, sitting here just looking at uh, um, musicians on uh, YouTube or whatever. I'll listening to music, and just relaxing, just being an old man.
1: <laughs> well, no matter you know what age you get to, is is if you're still playing, it keeps you young on some level, doesn't it? Yep.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't um, feel like I can't do it anymore, or I'm getting too tired to do. I, I'm not feeling that. You know, because when when it's time to come do the job, I'm up and at them. So, um, I did something right, I think. (laughs) I'm not sick from nothing, so my fingers are all right, my vocal, my voice is okay.
1: Well, we're all the better for it, you know, and um, appreciate all the fantastic music you've brought us through all these years. And, you know, thank you so much for sharing the stories with us.
0: Well, no problem. If you need any time, you know I'm. um, I'm, That's what I've turned into. Uh, and one one last thing, I was asked. I was doing a show last uh, week at this club, and and people said, "What keep you going? How long are you going to do this?" And type of thing. Not that these said, "We never want you to stop. We love your shows and all this stuff." And uh, he said. How do you keep up with all of this stuff? How, how just like you asking me, how do, um, and why do, are you still doing this and stuff like that? I said, well, about seven years ago, I, I went uh, to, to visit Detroit, I went to Hitchfield, USA, where we recorded all the Motown music in this house in Barry Gordy Jr.'s uh, studio, Hitchfield, USA. It was a lineup of people and they were paying, I forget how much, twenty dollars to get in just to see where we recorded all this music. And I didn't realize that it was a museum. I didn't even think about it. So when I came there, I was looking and I'm going like and I see the big line of people right down the right all the way down the corridor there. And I'm going like, Wow. They're paying money to come in just to look at the Motown studio. So um, anyway, I thought about it, and finally I was talking to a guy at the door, and I told him I said I used to record here, and well, he didn't know what to think. And um, anyway, it was a guy that was there that's been there since the beginning. He's about eighty something years old, but he was in good shape. He says a guy here that's just here every day when it's open, and he used to clean the place up, but now he's just a fixture. And he just dresses up in a suit, and he just sits sits there all day. And and, uh, Barry Gore paid, and he's a part of the museum. So he came out, and the guy who was at the door, he said, have you ever seen this guy before? And the guy looked at me, and he stared at me for almost a minute. And he said, he's a guitar player. He said, man, you have got a lot older now, haven't you? He said, you're the guitar player that came in and played with that Gibson and blah, blah, blah. He knew me. And they said, and the guy said, this guy knows everybody that come through this door. And like, uh, he knew me. And when the crowd heard that, I got mobbed. He said, you wanted, you wanted the Funk Brothers? You wanted the Motown people and all this kind of stuff? And I went like, yeah, kind of, I guess, you know. So... Anyway, getting back to the story I told the people at the um, club last week, and so I figured out why people call me from all over the world, from China, from England, from Hungary, from Austria, Italy, and uh, Serbia, Oslo, Denmark, Norway, all these, all these places I play. And they say, why is that? And I looked at him. I said, "He's it's going to be funny, but it's it, this is the truth." I said, "I, I said, just get a good look at me." I said, "I am what what you call an endangered species." And they thought about it and they couldn't stop laughing.
1: Well, I'm smiling because endangered species of having real God given talent, right?
0: Well. I'm last of the I'm the last of the original group of people that made a lot of this music from the '60s, '70s, '80s, '90s on up to the date. You know, and uh, in Belgium, I think back in the '70s they said I was one of the. It was funny what how they labeled me. They said Leroy Emanuel is one of the best industrial guitarists in the world. It was in one of their articles in Belgium.
1: <laughs> Interesting way to put it, yeah.
0: It was something like that. And like, they were doing around 72, 73. And when I did all that Bohannon stuff, I was doing a lot of the Bohannon stuff, 73, 74, whatever. And um, disco was huge. So all was the main guitarist on his album, I was always on all of his albums pictures and so people knew who I was for uh, as a musician in the disco era then I got sampled by Jay-Z and been sampled by um, Snoop Dogg and Hourglass and a lot of, a lot of uh, hip-hop groups have sampled the counts and Bohannon so they know who I am so that type of thing so I said, Well, I'm still alive, and all these other the funk brothers are gone. A lot of the earth, wind, fire original guys, they're gone. Uh, a lot of all these different groups um, from that time, a lot of are gone. The temptations are gone. The four tops are gone. Most of the Springs died are all still around. Um, a lot of people gone. It wouldn't start. I mean, just in the Marvin Gaye. I mean, you just keep on going, they're gone. Yeah.
1: Yeah every year there's more and more gone of the few that are left. Yes. Yeah.
0: So like I said I'm an endangered species. I'm still here and I'm kind of the last of the last. <laughs> so, so I'm getting calls from all over the place. Can you come can you come and they don't care how good I can play how how great I can sing. They just want there's a lot of people around the world. They got the albums and y'all they, they just want to be in the presence of something original well that, i you, see that
1: you definitely are uh, original you definitely are original Leroy, and i appreciate you taking the time to to
0: talk with me there's no and, problem uh, okay brother well you got a lot of information there and there's a lot more but there you go <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right fantastic thank you so much take oh, care of yourself
0: you, you all right you too
1: i hope you enjoyed this episode of truth and rhythm a big thank you goes out to our guest, as well as to you, the viewer and listener. Also, much gratitude to pleasure for supplying the show's funky opening and closing music. As a reminder, you can always access the complete list of linked shows by episode at FunkinStuff.net. I urge you to support this program and receive the extra benefits along with that by subscribing to the Funk and Stuff channel on YouTube and sharing it with funk, R&B, and jazz lovers. Joining Truth and Rhythms membership program at Patreon, submitting a donation at FunkinStuff.net, buying everything is on the one, the first guide to funk book at Amazon, shopping at the Funky Things store for cool merchandise at FunkinStuff.net, and linking through FunkinStuff.net for all of your Amazon purchases. In addition. And as always, this is Scott Dr. GX Qualfind saying, keep on vibing to the rhythm of the one.